Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. Here we are again. Yes. I think fine. I always say that. Good. <laughs> Routines are important in rituals are important when doing podcasting. Oh, so that's my little catchphrase. Here we are again. <laughs> yes, and it's no ordinary episode because Elam is a very ancient civilization. They've been around for longer than most civilizations. And now they have pissed off Assyria for the last time perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. They are pissed off. They are going to have some business happening in Elam. The land of Elam. It's funny how they always call it the land of Elam. The land of Elam. Yeah, sort of a mysterious town. So, yeah, I when we first... So we had so much podcast us interrupt us to do this episode, right? This is like the fourth time we try to get this started with different issues that we had. And in between the one, I, I watched a, a long video on Elam from History with Sai. And he, he goes way back, and it was it was really good. So I, I didn't realize how Elon was kind of like the kingmaker way, way back then. You know, they, had, they were much more powerful and not quite as powerful anymore. And maybe even less after this episode. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, because at this time, the Elamite throne was changing hands all the time. And also, so... We're going to end like 649, 648 and the start of this, but I'm going to just do the whole Elam thing, go right through all the years instead of just going year by year and then jump around all over the, the world. We're just going to do the whole Elam thing because there's things change so much. The king's names change. It's I think it's easier to just you know do the whole Elam part. 
I think that makes sense, and we've done it before in decades, taken subject by subject per decade. Yeah, yeah, for this one, definitely. Oh, before I get started, I do want to correct a mistake I made in the other podcast when I said that the population of the world was 66 million. I meant 96 million, so we estimate around 96 million population of the world. That's interesting because it's almost double what it was back in 1000 B.C., yeah. And that kind of makes sense. It's a much uh, stabler world in 640 than it was in 1000. Yes. Yeah, people know things, and I'm sure they had a lot of advances in medicine, but agriculture and that kind of thing. Yeah. That, of course, only goes for the uh, for the Mediterranean area or the, the Near East. Right. Um, so back to Elam. So, like I say, we're going to cover all this all at the same time. So, are we ready? Yes. All right. So, a little background. If you remember, in the 650s, we had the Battle of Tiltuba, and the Assyrians, they crushed the Elamites and the King Tumen. Tumen was that guy. He kept sending all the insults to Ashurbanipal, but then he ended up having his head shipped to Nineveh, and we figured out they shipped him in carts, and they hung him on one of his diplomat's neck, like a necklace. They hung the head in Ashurbanipal's garden, all kind of cool stuff like that. So, uh, so, uh, so Tuman died at the Battle of Tiltuba, was then beheaded, and his head was used as an Assyrian plaything after that. That would be correct. <laughs> How Assyrian of Ashurbanipal. Oh, of course, of course. Yes, he is a good Assyrian. And then the prior king was Urtak. He's the one that um, Tuman overthrew. And his family was in Assyria, in Nineveh. And so after this, after, you know, Tiltuba, Ashurbanipal made two of his sons kings in Elam. And there was Umanagash, he was made king at Madaktu and Susa. And then his brother, Temeritu I, was made king at Hidalu. So he set up two kings to keep them not too powerful. So the uh, the first guy, Umanigash, is closer to Assyria, mm-hmm. and his brother is king in the hinterland. Yes, and I think you know, um, uh, Madaktu and Susa, I think, are more of the, the more major main cities. Yeah, also very much closer to Assyria. Yes. I wonder how this worked in practice. That uh, okay, the Assyrians won the battle. They have the the prospect kings in their care, but how were they put on the throne? Did they have? Did the family of Urtak still have support in uh, in Elam? Uh, so Elam was definitely under having a lot of turmoil at this time. So he must have had some support, but I'm sure he also didn't have support because there was. We're gonna see. There's constantly one faction overthrows the other faction, and then even so, even what happens next is that. Umanigash sort of revolts against Ashurbanipal. No. How can he do that? Did he not see what happened? Uh, you know, you would think he would have saw what happened, but maybe he had a gun to his head, so to speak, or a knife to his throat, because that's what it seems like, is that in Elam they were, you know, not too fond of the Assyrians, obviously. But also, so what's happening now is the revolt of Shamashuma Ukin. So, again, people are thinking, all right, maybe this is our chance. And so Elam, 
sided with Babylonia and sided with Shamashumaugan. And if you remember also who was there was Merodach Baladin's grandson, Nabu Belshamadi. Yeah. So, and maybe he thought that the Syrians were out of arrows. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, Ashurbanipal launches another invasion into Elam. I'm not sure what happened to Tamaritu the first, so we're just going to not worry about him right now. Umanigash's army was defeated near the city of Der, D-E-R. And as a result of that, there was a coup, and he was deposed by Tamaritu II, who killed Umanigash and his family. And this Tamaritu II was the son of Tamaritu I, and therefore Umani Gash's nephew, his actual nephew. I see. Mm-hmm. So there's a little war here. That's a really interesting question. What happened to Tamaritu the first? He's just not around. Yeah, I mean, somebody in Elam probably know what happened to him, but most of the information we get becomes from comes from Assyria, from their inscriptions and there's letters. We have a lot of letters from this guy named Bel Ibni, and he's not the same Bel Ibni that was, you know, under Sarakarib that was the, in charge of uh, Babylon. It's a different Bel Ibni. He's a general, and we have a lot of his letters. So he was active in, in Elam all this time. Okay. So, so this is the first time that they invaded Elam in the 640s. Were the the Assyrian army actually in Elam? Because Deir is not in Elam. No, it's right on the border. So the Assyrian army was active in that area because this is basically what's happening here is still the revolution. So this is a battle. Maybe you could kind of look at this like a world war of, of the Assyrian Empire. Yeah, so Ashurbanipal's main target will always be Shamashumaukin. Correct. And and you're going to see later in the decade too. There's issues going on with the Arabs on the other in the west. So now this is in the east. So it's kind of like everyone is fighting. You know, like Merodach Baladin, the grandson is probably pretty good at diplomacy, getting people on his side. Yep. Syrians are still pretty tough because it's not working well. I could tell you that. Okay, so Tamaritu the second is king of Elam now. Will he side with the Assyrians? No. He had some success fighting battles alongside Nabu Belshamadi. Oh. Mm-hmm. I remember that the Elamites are actually the only ones who can stand up to Assyrians. If on a good day, they have won some battles against Assyria before. Yeah. Well, the mountains help. The fortresses, I'm sure, help. Uh, they can always run back, but they are still fighting them. So during this fighting, Tamarito II, you know, he's fighting against. Ashurbanipal, and then one of his generals, the guy's name was Indabibi, and you'll see that in different spellings. So this this guy that overthrew, he's a general, overthrew Tamaritu II in around 649-648. And then Tamaritu, you won't believe what he did, him and his people left and fled to Nineveh for asylum. Okay, so Indabibi is the fourth king in a year? Nilam? Yeah. Okay, so Tamaritu II goes to Nineveh. Yes. Did he get Asalim? Yeah, so this is um, the Bel Ibni stuff. 
So it sort of it seemed like it was sort of like a um, how would you put it? Maybe like you know the Germans getting Mussolini out, that kind of thing. There was a lot of spycraft going on, and he they sent letters to um, messages to Bell Ibney, who was active in the area, and he got him. You know he went and got him, got him out. The thing is with the Assyrians, and I think a lot of monarchies, right, is that they like to have kings in in place in their other countries. You know, they don't want to have, like, generals take over, change dynasties, more like, you know, they're sort of a family of kings, even if they're fighting. Yeah, it's kind of two different levels. The first one is that you, you are a vassal kingdom, you keep your king, he's a vassal king. And the second stage would be that you actually... Uh, conquer the territory, make it an Assyrian province. Exactly. And that's a lot of work. Right. And so if they're going to set up a king, they prefer to set up, you know, a legitimate king, you know, from the bloodline instead of, you know, having some general be the king. I learned that from my favorite Assyriologist, Karen Radner. <laughs> but it makes sense that uh, change as little as possible. Right. I mean, we see that in history, even like, you know, Napoleon, you know, when Napoleon overthrew the French when the, after the French Revolution, and then the, all the kings of Europe wanted, didn't want to have such a thing, so they wanted to put a king back on. Mm. Also, the Romans tended to do this a lot. Yep, absolutely. Keep vassal kingdoms close to the border to as a shield. Exactly. So, okay, here's what happens with Indibibi. Tamarito's gone. So then I had to dig through a bunch of Ashurbanipal bragging and praising gods and stuff to figure this part out. Maybe it's just me. I had to read a whole bunch of times. But So what happened is Nabu Bel Shamati, Shamanti, at some point he captured some Assyrians by some sort of trickery. They say, you know, he captured them in the night and he imprisoned them in Elam. So Indibibi had some of them released and sent to Ashurbanipal to intercede with him and basically tell him, you know, what a good guy Indibibi was. But Ashurbanipal wasn't having any of it because he wanted all of them back and he wanted Nabu Bel Shamadi especially. So here's what he says. With regard to Nabu Bel Shamadi, son of Merodach Baladan, he calls him son, but he's really his grandson, uh, a servant who belonged to me, who had fled and gone to the land of Elam. And with regard to the rest of the Assyrians who Nabu Bel Shamadi had seized by guile and taken to Elam with him, I sent a message to Indabibi by the hands of his messenger, saying, as follows, Since you have not sent me those people, I will come and tear down your cities. I will carry off the people of the cities, Susa, Madaktu, and Hidalu. I will remove you from your royal throne and make someone else sit on your throne. The same actions that I used to thwart Tumen, I will make happen to you. So that was a real threat. And Indabibi took it as such. But Indabibi had sent Ashurbanipal some of the prisoners, but not all of them. Right, not all of them. That's why Ashurbanipal is mad. Right. And he really wanted Nabu Bel Samadhi. And remember, this is the revolution is still going on. That's the thing we have to keep. This is all part of a battle, really, in that. You know, Nabu Bel Samadhi is a big part of this revolution. So what happened next was before the messenger even arrived, the Elamites heard about the progress of the messenger, knew it was somehow what was in the message, and they killed Indabibi. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> That's also a short career for in the BB. Yeah. Yeah, I could say there is a lot of turmoil going on in Elam at this time. Um, I don't know. I guess, you know, somehow they found out what was in the message. You know, maybe the Chaldeans were afraid that he was going to, you know, turn them in. So they killed him. Intriguing. Yeah. So he's gone. Okay, time for king number five yeah. of Elam. And, you know, yeah, there's a chart. Kavan helped me make a chart. I should try to somehow post that and go through all the names. Yeah, so next is, this is his king name. So his name is, king name is Humban Haltosh Third. And his name is almost like the other one. So his name, his original name was Humanaldash. So let's just call him... Humban Haltash the third. Humban Haltash the third. That sounds good. Maybe, maybe like Hank. <laughs> I'm sure Hank will be dead then. Like so King Hank. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, they still. They're so Nabu Belshamadi still active. He's still fighting against Assyria from outposts in Elam, and Humban Haltash even wanted to give up Nabu Belshamadi, but he had too many supporters in Elam, so. Ashurbanipal invaded Elam again in around 647. So this is the second time. This would be after the fall of Babylon, but, you know, kind of mopping up the revolution because of Nabu Belsamadi still fighting. Yep. So he invaded again. There was a short resistance. So Humban Haltash's son-in-law was captured alive, defending a, the fortress of Bit Imbi. And Humban Haltash fled into the mountains. Guess who came back? Who did? Tamaritu II. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a new one. Yeah, he, he was definitely you know I, I believe he was captured, taken. He had no choice, you know, by the general, by Belibni, and he was basically just a puppet at this point. Hmm. You know, he do. In other words, if you don't want to get flayed, go back to go back to Elam and be king. That's an easy choice. Yeah, exactly. All right, now, so this is the second invasion, right? So they did it twice. They plundered. They did their thing. They actually plundered the region of Khuzestan. The Syrian army turned, returned home. But then Humban Haltaj come out of the mountains and retook the throne. So, yep, changed hands again. I'm not sure what happened to Tamaritu II. I think somehow he ended up back in Assyria. He's quite a survivor. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He, these guys are like, if he was, if this was, you know, a, a HBO series or something, he'd be like the sniveling guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, so Hank is back on the throne. Of yeah, Hank is back on the throne, and 
but Nabu Belshamadi and the Chaldeans are still loose and they're probably still stirring up trouble. If they weren't, it was just a temporary situation because Ashurbanipal wanted them gone. Right? So now here's this is the really big, big invasion that maybe you know you guys have heard about. Around six forty six, the Assyrians come back to Elam and Humban Haltash he hightails it into the mountains again. Ashurbanipal is you know pursuing him all through the mountains, all through Elam, plundering, raising cities on his way. And this was definitely a bigger campaign because the revolution is over. The Elamites, they must have been in bad shape. Yeah, like Bel Ibni has his, in his letters, he talks about a group of shepherds that have some sheep on the border. And, you know, they won't even let the sheep. He says, if one of those sheep crosses the border, I'm going to kill all you and take your sheep. So they had Elam you know, under an economic blockade. So people are starving. He talks about watching two different armies in Elam fighting each other. So it was a real mess going on there. Yeah, but now in 646, the Assyrians have, uh, can focus on Elam much more than earlier. Exactly. So now it's payback time. Yeah, it's going to be bad. It's going to be payback time. Here's what's what's happened. All the major political centers in Elam are crushed. Ashurbanipal lists several, uh, he calls them royal cities, and there's 14 royal cities. It make, means me think that Elam is like a confederation at this point, or you know, not very united as it used to be. So there's 14 royal cities, ton of small cities, 12 districts that he captured, destroyed, devastated, and or burned with fire. The usual stuff, but a little bit more extreme, it seems. Ashurbanipal seems very angry at this point. And I, I think he's like turning more and more into Ashurnasipal II mm. the longer his reign goes. For sure. And remember, he's home. This is worse than what Sargon did, right? This uh, Sargon tended to conquer people and humiliate them, and but not destroy stuff like this. Yeah, he must have just. Let, I mean, he wasn't with the armies. You know, he, he's like King Jeffrey. He's home, or Joffrey. You know, he's home and just saying, yes, destroy all those cities, I don't care. Maybe it's easier to destroy places if you're not there. Yeah, I would think. But remember, Sennacherib told us that he destroyed Babylon, but we know he was exaggerating. Yes. But now it's actually happening. Yeah, that's true, right. He was This he, This is really actually happening. Even, even like nearby chiefdoms and little kingdoms who had previously, they paid tribute to the Elamites, they started paying to Ashurbanipal now. They're definitely afraid. They see what's going on here. Countries that never even had any contact with the Syrians. There's a kingdom ruled by a king called Hudimiri, which extended beyond Elam, in air quotes there. They also began paying tribute to the Assyrians for the first time. And here's an interesting one. um, One of these kingdoms was called Parsua, which is possibly a predecessor of the Persian Empire. That will be founded by the Achaemenids, like a hundred years later, because their king's name is Cyrus. Yeah, we've been to Persua before in uh, in the podcast. The Assyrian hand has reached Persua before. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, they say that he Ashurbanipal says. Well, this is what he says. Cyrus of the king of the land of Parsumas heard about the mighty victories that, with the support of the gods Asher, Bel, Marduk, and Nabu, the great gods, my lords. I had achieved over the land of Elam, and that I had flattened the land, Elam, all of it, like the deluge. And he sent to Nineveh 
my capital city, Aruku, his eldest son, with his payment to do obeisance. <laughs> do what? To obey him, obeisance. And he made an appeal to my lordly majesty. Oh, I wonder what the Persians can learn by being at the Assyrian court. Right. Yeah, very good point. I mean, they say, you know, the Babylonians took over the... Well, we don't know what happens. That's a spoiler. Okay. <laughs> so here's how he puts it. So now he did all this business, right? Like he, did, you know, captured all these cities. But on the return march, like on the way back, after they already did this damage, this is when they really opened the can of whoop-ass. Just like they... On Susa. Just like they did at Thebes. So like this city really hasn't been ransacked like this before. So here's some examples of what he says. This one I love. The goddess Nanaya, who 1635 years ago became angry and went to live in the land of Elam, a place not befitting her, then at that time when she and the gods, her fathers, nominated me for ruling over the lands, she entrusted me with the return of her lordly majesty, saying, Ashurbanipal will bring me out of the land of Elam and make me enter Iana again. So that's, um, Iana is a temple in Uruk, and 1635 years ago, the Elamites, when they were stronger, had captured the statue, you know, and brought it to Susa, and now Ashurbanipal, they're bringing it back. I bet the goddess was really happy. She was, what's what she said, she really likes it better there in Iana. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, maybe she didn't have a bed. <laughs> He's put them all together. <laughs> He's got the bed now. He got the girls back. I mean, they're having a big old party. <laughs> yes, the goats are rejoicing. <laughs> oh, gosh. So he also says, I opened up their treasuries inside which silver, gold, possessions, and property had been stored, which the former kings of the land of Elam, down to the kings of this time, had collected and deposited, and wherein no other enemy apart from me had laid his hands, and I brought all of this out and counted it as booty. A lot of this stuff, I guess, had been taken from Sumer and Babylonia over the centuries, and he's just getting it and bringing it back. I like to point something out here. Please. The Persians, and even more so, the Medes, are in the mountains north of Elam, mm -hmm. and they have been kept in check by Elam for a long time. Yes. But now Ashurbanipal is changing the power balance in the region. That's absolutely correct. And maybe he really needed Elam, but perhaps that is the wisdom of hindsight. But things will go <laughs> really bad from here. I mean, that's what they call that is the rule of unintended consequences. Yes. So there's a couple more things. So this is a big, this is a famous event here. And I think Ashurbanipal could really sum up what he what he did here. And I, I would like it if you did it, because you do Ashurbanipal better than me. The Sigurat of the city Susa, which had been constructed with baked bricks colored with lapis lazuli, I destroyed it. I stripped off its horns, which were cast with shiny copper. And then he goes, then he talks about something else. Yeah, I like this part. This is really interesting. As for the deities in Susinak, the god of their secret lore who lives in seclusion and whose divine acts have never been seen by anyone, I carried off to Assyria those gods and goddesses together with their jewelry, their property 
and their equipment, along with Sangu priests and Bulalu priests. Right? It's like, that's like so odd, like this weird, I wish I knew what this religion was. It sounds like, a you know, they had these groves of gods and these weird god names that you never really heard of, and a Sangu priest and a Buhalu priest. But is it taking the holy religion, including all the priests? Yeah, I mean, he's just wiping them out. He, like he found there's like it says that their secret, their gods live in secret um, seclusion. Like they have, like in Israel and in Judah, they had these groves. You know, this the groves to Asherah and stuff. And like, you know, in, in like the Celts had groves. You know, they must have had these you know sacred groves. And he just found them and cut the trees down, took the gods away, just like everything. Perhaps they even took the trees. Probably did if that was what they used. I mean, you know, where's their secret places? And he found them and just, gosh. Oh, I have the secret places. Yeah. In my baggage train. Yeah, everything. But Ashurbanipal is not done. Mm-mm. He has more to say. I destroyed and demolished the tombs of their earlier and later kings who had not revered the goddess Istar, my lady, and who had disturbed the kings, my ancestors. I exposed them to the sun. I took their bones to Assyria. I prevented their ghosts from sleeping and deprived them of funerary libations. Oof. Because he's destroying all the tombs of all the early yeah. kings of Elam. dug them up. <laughs> I think we haven't seen an Assyrian king this crazy since Ashurnasipal II. Oh, yeah, anybody so crazy. It's really cruel. Cruel. I think a lot of the Assyrian kings actually lived on the reputation of Ashurnasipal II. They had those uh, great reliefs of what Ashurnasipal did, and then they didn't have to do it themselves. Right. Because it seldom happened, but now it's happening again. Right. Yeah, maybe that's it. You're right, you know, because everybody keeps revolting now, and they say, well, I guess we just have to show them that we are. I think perhaps Ashurbanipal being the most literate king has read too much about Ashurnasipal. That's a good point. A uh, but he's not point. done. He will no. do more things. Yes. I deprived his fields of the clamor of humans, the sound of the treading of oxen, sheep and goats, and the cries of pleasant work songs. Shush. So now there are no pleasant work songs in the mm-hmm. fields. They're just like bad false work songs <laughs> there's no people it's just donkeys like wandering you know like I think there's one part where he says there's you know there's just wild asses just you know wandering the thing because he he sowed salt into the fields and he and he planted what we call in Scranton picker bushes you know planted some kind of prickly plant that are just so he basically you know made brambles and salt just weeds and salty ugh, mess but this is a uh Total destruction. Total destruction. Basically, like dug up, like literally dug up their bones, dug up their soil, killed the people, took took a bunch of their um, archers and their troops and put them in the army. It's just a. It was a brutal. I mean, this is pretty much. You don't hear much about Elam anymore after this. And like you said, then the Persians start moving in. Well, you you. <laughs> I used to consider Ashurbanipal a great uh, protector of history for reasons we'll come to later, but this is destruction of history. I'm glad he didn't do this to Egypt. He would have torn down the pyramids. No kidding. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Ashurbanipal sometimes gets listed a lot often, you know, as the last great king of Assyria, but well, that might be a little spoiler, but Karen Radner, again, she doesn't really like Ashurbanipal that much. She doesn't think he was so great. 
Where you stand statue on the, the square in San Francisco. That's because of like Bill. That's the great thing about him is that he saved all the all the writing. Yes, but not the Elamite writing. <laughs> no. Maybe he did. He doesn't mention burning all the books. Yeah, right. Or the scrolls rather. Exactly. Or the, probably the 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 brick the what do you say in English? Um, all all writing are probably on uh, mud bricks. Oh, oh yeah, yes. They would have been clay tablets. Clay tablets, that's yes. So Ooh, poor Elam. Poor Elam. There's still a hope there's there's still that somebody's still running around. Right? Uh, what about those massacre reliefs? We haven't gotten to them yet. No, we haven't gotten to them yet. Okay, I'm spoiling things, sorry. Yeah. Are you, aren't you wondering what happened to Nabu Bel Shamadi? Yeah, what happened to Nabu Bel Shamadi? Well, I'm glad you asked. So Hamban Hautaj, he's not dead yet either. He returned to Madaktu and he saw it was destroyed and knew his whole land was destroyed. So he Ashurbanipal sent some messengers and he said I want to, you know, to retrieve Nabu Bel Shamadi. And when Humban Hautaj heard this, he figured Oh, no, I'm sorry. When Nabu Belshamadi heard this, he figured going back to Nineveh was probably not a good idea. So him and his shield bearer ran each other through with their iron girdled daggers. So they killed themselves. He had told his shield his shield bearer, "Kill me." So that happened like right at the in the Elamite court. What was left of it. So Humban Haltus is like, "Oh, this is great. Now Ashurbanipal is going to be really mad." So he had his the body laid in salt, and then he had the shield bearer's head cut off, and he shipped it back with a messenger to Ashurbanipal. Oh, okay, Let, let's recap this. Nabu Belshamati, who has been keeping up this revolution uh, long beyond the point where it was lost, mm-hmm. and now he decides to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> and his shield bearer. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, okay, and then Hank is like, oh no. Right. This I'll thinks. send the corpse Ashurbanipal. That'll be good. Yeah. So you know what Ashurbanipal did then? Tell me. He made him more dead than he was before. That's what he says. How, how did he manage that? He didn't bury him, and he cut off his head and hung it to the back of his brother, uh, possibly a twin brother. So he must have had one of his brothers, you know, in Nineveh. And so Hank's brother is still alive. And not Hank's brother, Nabu Belshamadi's brother. Oh, okay, of course. Yeah, he he cut his head off and he hung it. So he's got heads hanging all over the place. <laughs> the court in Nineveh seems like such a goth place. Oh my God, gruesome! It's totally like the you know when like I said on uh, Conan the Barbarian, right? With those the evil kingdom with the just all this nasty death and stuff. It's like a Halloween place. I doesn't seem like the beautiful city of uh, Sennacherib the Builder anymore. I guess, or at least maybe there's just like a dark, you know, in the palace, it's just dark. and I mean, dark mentally. Ashurbanipal seems like a, a really evil king. Honest to God, oh, for sure. I mean, king like, it's like King Joffrey, you know? Yeah. For sure. And Humban Halta, she's still kind of around. And there was another another uprising in Elam. So Humban Haltash fled alone to the mountains. And Ashurbanipal... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a yeah. Minute. Okay, so there's another uprising in Elam. Yeah. Upon which Hank flees to the mountains. Correct. Or, or did he actually lose something? He wasn't in this uprising, or he just instinctively fled to the mountains immediately. 
he he probably has like a like a like a cabin up there in the mountain somewhere that he keeps running to. Yeah, it seems to be working. I mean, I'm use I have to use Asher Banipal's writings, and then you, you know, like I mentioned before, there's all these different cylinders. There's this cylinder, that cylinder. Some was written earlier, some later, and then the final cylinder, the Rassam cylinder, was written could be in the 30s that it was written. So it's after everything, and he sort of adds it all together. So you know, you got to piece this together. But you know, the end of the story is that Humbenhaltosh Hank he leaves. He has another. There's another uprising. He runs to the mountains, and Ashurbanipal says, "I hunted him like a falcon," which I don't know. That means like Ashurbanipal was the falcon who hunted him, or I don't think that Hank is a falcon. No, I think Ashurbanipal is the falcon. Yeah, so he, being like a falcon, found him in the mountains, and then later we find that what apparently happened, or he brags about it, that he's him, possibly one of the Tamaritus, an Arab king are forced to hold the yoke of Ashurbanipal's coach and take him to a temple. And there is an inscription of that, of these kings. That he's like They have to drag him in a cart while he you know, goes to a temple to pray. So he is using the kings as oxen. Correct. So, yeah, the last king that Ashurbanipal mentions in Elam is P-A, P-A apostrophe E. And he includes this guy as somebody who made pull the coach, too. So this is where at the end... You know, at the, at the end of the story in that Rassam cylinder, some stuff seems to get a mm, little bit inflated, you know, and kind of brag a little extra. Uh, uh, no, would an Assyrian ever brag? <laughs> Never. I think this Pa'e is some guy that Ashurbanipal just makes, it, it makes him the king of Elam and then puts him in front of the coach. Yeah, it probably is, it, you know. Yeah, these, these um, Assyrian kings are... I mean, remember Ezra Haddon used to do the, the replacement king ceremony and stuff? Yeah. That was a weird thing, too. And this this uh, king's pulling Ashurbanipal to temple, that's, that is probably going on in Nineveh, right? Because Ashurbanipal is still not yes. leaving Nineveh. And this is later. This isn't like right after. This could be just something he, he might have even did that in the 30s, you know? He just says that he, you know, and he said they do have, an, they do have a, a picture of it. You know, not just, obviously. <laughs> so what's what's the Assyrian policy in Elam here? We have seen a ton of policies on Babylon, and none of them have worked. But what's what's the policy now? They they finally defeated Elam totally. So what do they do with Elam? Well, they don't assign any governors. They don't have really have any more trouble. They just left it open. Basically, like what do the Romans used to? What do they say about the Romans? They came and they destroy everything, and then they call it peace. But the Romans conquered stuff. He's actually leaving Elam. Yeah, but the Romans used to do it on their borders. You know, they would go over into the, the German areas and they would just come over and just kick a bunch of butt and just destroy everything and then just come back. Yeah, but the problem with the Germans for the Romans was that the Germans didn't have cities, so there was nothing to conquer. Mm-hmm. And of course, Il- Elam doesn't have cities anymore because mm-hmm. you destroyed them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like you said then, so the Persian tribes start to move in because they didn't do anything with it, and then they eventually became the Persian Empire, and then they would eventually rule all the Near East, and they would also rule Assyria. We will probably mention them again in this podcast. Probably, especially with our interns that are helping me. We're getting so fast. These guys have a lot of stuff written out for us. We're, we're in the 520s already. No, we will be, not. before you know it. <laughs> but this seems like madness just madness we're just getting started 
why leave this huge area uncontrolled? Yeah. Of course, the the fields are soaked with salt. Yeah. <laughs> weed, but that is not irreversible. It's just scorched earth, I guess. They just can't seem to control it. It is very mountainous. I mean, even the Elamites can't control it. And of course, the the Persians are. They don't care very much about fields. Yeah. No. They're more. Um, why don't they care about fields? They're mountain barbarians with ah. horses, so they care about uh, pastures ah, gotcha. and herding. Gotcha. So those sheep could probably eat those picker bushes. Yeah. Actually. Great land for Persians. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what happened. We have to go through the Medes first before we get to the Persians. Correct. And then the, the, the um, Greeks always call the Persians the Medes anyway. Get them mixed up. Yeah, the Greeks get a lot of things mixed, mixed up about this area. Well, next time we'll see how Ashurbanipal uh, handles victory. So now he is the undisputed heavyweight champion of Assyria. And uh, what does he do then? Well, we'll find out. But we're going to jump around because he's... Remember, like I said, that there was all kind of battles going on in the West also related to the revolution. So eventually we're going to get into that. But the next episode, we're also going to talk about some building work at Nineveh. Oh, I love this part. Yeah. All right, so we'll get right back at that quickly. Hopefully the microphone works. Hopefully. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Oh, but hey, I do want to mention thank you to the Patreons who did help me get this new microphone. Yeah. Thank you, Patreons. Yes. Also, welcome all new listeners. We broke a record with uh, a couple of episodes ago when we uh, ended up on uh, the Swedish advertising business top list for podcasts with over 2,000 unique listeners. Because in Sweden we have like a a council of um, advertisers and uh, content providers. They have agreed on a technical way to measure the reach of podcasts. And we've never been on that list before, so we broke the record. That's awesome. Thanks, everybody. I just noticed today, so I was quite impressed. That is awesome. I was actually looking for another one of my podcasts, and I saw, what? Fan of History is on the list. Yes. We are going to be an up-and-coming podcast. I really appreciate the listeners. It also revealed to me that uh, I thought the list only measured the Swedish listeners, but obviously uh, most of our listeners are not Swedish, so they are also measured. Nice. Well, again, thank you. Do you actually, when you listen to Fan of History, do you hear uh, English ads? Sometimes I do now, yes. Good, because ACAST, the company who sells the ads, they, they have a New York office, so they should be able to sell American ads. Yes, I do. Um, yes, I actually listen to the podcast. It's really crazy that I can listen to myself now. Used to be, you know, I don't know if you guys ever try to, you know, don't like listening to yourself. At first, when I started doing this, I was like, oh, my God, I can't stand hearing myself talk. I know I still annoy myself sometimes, but uh, I do listen to it, and I have, have heard the ads. <laughs> I uh, I do uh, create 14 podcasts, and I am a guest on many others. I usually listen to when I'm a guest, but the only podcast I make myself that I listen to is Fan of History. I, I re-listen to every episode several times. <laughs> That's awesome. I just, I just love this subject. That's great. Well, you're good at it. You definitely um, you have a better recall than me. 
and I will go crazy in the next episode. Because yeah, we're going to get so right into the next episode soon. Uh, thanks, everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.